0: You are listening to the teaching ministry of Discovery Church in Bristol, Tennessee. For more information about Discovery or for more free audio content, please visit DiscoveryBristol.com. Well, good morning. Good morning. I'm excited. Uh, We are starting the book of Mark. And this is my favorite book. And I am like giddy this morning. Uh, I know it sounds weird. You might be like, what a nerd, but I am super excited. This book is amazing. And so I'm just pumped. I'm in the back. I feel like a little kid on a snow day uh, when there's actually snow and um, that uh, just excited for the day. And so that's how I felt all morning. Excited to be back with people on Sunday mornings. So that's awesome, right? And so it is just great to be back, to, to be worshiping with all of you and, and coming together to be able to speak and, and learn about God's word. And so we're going to be looking at the book of Mark for, the, for their, not just like today, but for this year. We're going to be diving into this book, and it's an amazing book, um, but, but it's one of the four gospels. And so the Gospels, uh, just some basics there's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's four perspectives of Jesus, it's four stories of Jesus. It, each one is written from a different perspective, a different viewpoint a different angle. It's as if uh, we were able to see uh, a, a car fly through an intersection and it's just driving recklessly and you'd, you'd have four different people viewing it. You'd have Bob, this guy that used to be a truck driver and he would take note that, that the driver was a big stature and was a big man. You might have, have a mother, uh, um, Sally, who, who's a mom of three and she notices that there's two little kids in the back of the car. You might have this teenager that sees and is like, man, that paint job was awesome. And you might have, uh, have uh, uh, Jane, an uh, uh, off-duty cop that notices the reckless driver and catches the license plate and sends him a ticket later on. right? Everyone's got a different view of the exact same thing. And when we put the view of the teen and the truck driver and the parent and the cop together, we'd be able to get the full picture to be able to tell this story of the car flying through with the uh, flames on the side two little kids in the back of the car and a license plate number. And we'd be able to put it together to make this complete picture of the scene. And so this is kind of the same way we have with the Gospels. We have the four different authors, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, who are writing the story of Jesus Christ. But they're writing it from different perspectives, different angles. And so each one has their own own reason for writing, their own viewpoint. For Matthew... Matthew's writing to a predominantly Jewish group. He's writing to a group of Jewish believers and believers in Christ. And so he's telling them about Jesus as the promised Messiah. How Jesus fulfills all the prophecies from the Old Testament. And so if you're reading through Matthew, you'll see much of Matthew harkens back to the Old Testament. There's references to past verses. There's, there's all these ideas bringing up the, this idea of a Messiah that was promised. And so Matthew is even written by a tax collector. And so interestingly, if you read through Matthew, you're going to see whenever there's a story about money, Matthew gives a lot more details about the money and the interactions with money than any of the other Gospels. because that's his viewpoint. You have the book of Luke. Luke is written uh, the book of Luke is written. Luke writes it to a singular person. Philophilus is his companion, and he says, I'm writing this to you. And so you'll see there's wording that makes a point to make sure that Jesus cared about the individual, that he came as the Son of Man, that, that he came to earth even for one. And so Luke in 1911 or 1910 says that, For the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which is lost. And in there, the, the, the grammar is singular that Jesus came for even one. This is Luke's message, that even one was important. John John writes that to the, to the entirety of mankind, John is writing that Jesus was God. And that he wanted us to, to make sure to see the perspective that Jesus is God himself, that God incarnate, that God in the flesh. And so it even begins, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That in the beginning, Jesus was already there. John lays it out from, at the beginning, that from the beginning, Jesus was there. Jesus was with God. Jesus was God. And then you have Mark. Mark is written by, uh, by John Mark. Uh, he, he was the son of a woman named Mary who the disciples would often have meetings in her home. Many people believe that the Last Supper was in Mary's home. Perhaps John Mark was there. Perhaps John Mark, Mary had said, hey, one of the servants bowed out and, and we need someone to be able to help tonight. And Mark washed his hands and said, I'll get right in there. And John Mark was serving and perhaps John Mark even brought Jesus some food. John Mark is written as the son, by the son of Mary. John Mark wasn't one of the disciples that went with him, but John Mark wa- was a companion of Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey. And for some reason, we see that Mark leaves the journey. And we don't know why, and maybe there's, he's upset with Paul. Maybe he couldn't handle the pressure of the trip. Maybe he got sick, but, but we know that he came back. And perhaps maybe it was God leading him to return. Because in doing so, he comes back to Jerusalem, and he spends time with the disciples. He spends time at the feet of Peter, and hearing Peter tell story after story of his interaction with Jesus. And so Mark, the book of Mark, is many of the stories from Peter's viewpoint. Mark is written in such a way that he introduces this new new writing style, this new idea of a gospel, the good news. Before Mark, this is the first book written. There is no gospel. We have the these stories to turn to. That if we were wondering, hey, what what was that story about Jesus feeding some people? We'd either Google it or, or flip open our Bible and would look at the title chapters and or the, the titles of the each chapter and we'd finally find ah oh, here it is. He fed five thousand, and we have the story just like that. But at that time, they didn't have that. They didn't have the ability to be able to look it up. It was all the stories of Jesus are just passed down orally. And so they'd go and be like, you know what I heard? There was this time Jesus fed 1,000 people. And someone else says, no, no, I heard it was 3,000. Someone else says, I heard it was 5,000 people. And I heard that from, from Peter who was there. And so the stories are being told orally. And Mark puts them down for the Christians in Rome. See, the Christians in Rome were under persecution. The emperor Nero came and, and he was in charge. He, was, he became emperor and for several years, he was a good emperor. He was peaceful and, and calm, but then something switched. Uh, historians have many debates on what changed in him, but something changed and he became very uh, paranoid. He became very scared. He became very angry and unstable. He was, he'd have people ordered to be killed that were, were close to him, even friends and family. And, and he was unstable and he was, and he was very angry and, and just a horrible emperor. And so, in 64 AD, there was this great fire that swept through the city of Rome. It's believed that, the, that 80% of Rome was burned to the ground. I was telling my son about this and, and saying, just imagine on the street we live on, there's probably 10 houses going up the street. Eight of those 10 are gone. Eight of those 10 families are homeless now, those that that survived the fire. Eight of those 10 are now looking for work because their business has burned down as well. And so this fire decimated the city. And as you can imagine, eight out of 10 people are angry. Eight out of 10 people are looking for, for the cause of this. And most believe Nero started it at his palace. But when the word starts spreading that the emperor had started it, he quickly turns it and he says, no, 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 it was the Christians. It's those people that follow Jesus Christ. They're the ones that started this fire and we need to take it out on them. And so he makes an order that the the Christians could be arrested. He makes an order that the Christians would then be tortured even. And so the people, the soldiers are out looking for those that say they believe in this Jesus Christ. Those that associate themselves with this new religion of, of Christ followers are arrested. And they're not just killed, they're tortured. Tortured in ways that, I, as I was reading, tortured in ways I couldn't describe right now because there's kids in this room. It was that morbid and bad. And so everyone's angry at these Christians, and imagine the, the, the crowd, the, the 8 out of 10 homes are looking for someone to blame, and so they know a Christian, and they turn him in. They say, my neighbor, he used to be a Christian. I know he was. Go get him. And they turn him into the authorities. I work with this Christian. This lady talks about Jesus, turns her into authorities. So the authorities are out to get you, and the emperor is, is finding new ways to torture you. Your friends and family have turned you in. And now you're starting to wonder, is this worth it? I believe in this Jesus, but, but I believe because these stories I've been told and now my whole world is turned upside down. People are blaming us. It wasn't me. I didn't start the fire, but everyone's turned against us. And so these Christians come together on the Lord's day like you are now, but they're not in the safe Church, no. Surely that would have been raided and everyone captured. So they meet in the one place and no one's going to go. The catacombs under the city. They're in these tunnels which are lined with skeletons and cadavers that are decaying. But this is the only place they could go that's safe. And they gather and they meet and they worship in silence and they greet each other in silence. And they're coming together and they're telling the stories of Jesus. Jesus. But they're also crying out, Why? Why are, we, why are we being persecuted? Why is there such pain? Why is there such loneliness? Why is there so many people against us? Is it all worth it? Or were we, were we crazy for believing this in the first place? And so the year is about 65 AD, a year after the fire. It's not safe to be out, it's not safe to be acknowledge that you're a Christian. Many of your friends have been captured and killed and you're meeting, and word gets out, did you hear? I heard from someone who heard from someone who heard from someone that there's a manuscript telling the story of Jesus. And you come back the next week, and, and the rumor has spread even more, and they say that it's true, it's true. I actually saw someone who saw someone that said they seen it. This, this book, this manuscript, the gospel according to Mark. Mark has written the stories down. And so they gather in the next meeting. They say, you'll never believe this, but I got a piece. Let's read the story of Jesus. And so this is why Mark writes this book. To reach out to these persecuted Christians to say what you've thought, what you've been believing in. The stories while you're questioning and wondering, was it worth it? It was. Let me tell you the stories, they're true. And so we'll see in Mark's writing, it's very fast-paced, it's very straight to the point, it's very fact-based. There's not a lot of Jesus' teaching, it's a lot of his stories. It's very fast, Mark's most favorite word that he uses throughout is immediately. He says and immediately Jesus did this, and immediately the disciples did that. He's very fast because he's talking to a group of people that just need to know the facts. He's talking to a group of people that just need the encouragement to say, this is worth it. This is worth what we've gone through. That in the midst of our pain and suffering, in the midst of our agony, in the midst of our loneliness, in the midst of our sadness, there's something that we can point to. And so this writing style served great to be able to reach the people and and in my opinion serves great today because it's very fast-paced. If, if you have a short attention span like I do, this is the perfect book. It doesn't get lost in, in a lot of details or a lot of discourse, but it gets right to the point and then it tells a new story and then a new story and then a new story after that. This book was written for these Romans hidden in the catacombs, but I believe it was written for me and for you. And so this book, this gospel according to Mark, is a beautiful book story of Jesus and so if you have your your Bible go ahead and open it if if you haven't uh if you're I think Chris might have mentioned it if you have this book uh I want to encourage you to grab one of these we have them in at the coffee shop uh for five dollars we got them for six dollars on Amazon you can go to Amazon and get them uh we got a fancy one or there's a black uh just a plain black one but it's just the book of Mark but it's got pages to be able to write notes And we're gonna dive into this over the next year and I wanna encourage you to dive into this book. Don't let Sunday morning be the only time that you're getting into this gospel. Let it be throughout your week. Let it change who you are. Let us be able to dive into the life and times of Jesus. And so if you have your Bible, go ahead and open it to Mark chapter 1. If you have your, your journaling Bible, Mark chapter 1, we'll get into it. And it begins. I love how Mark opens this up. He's, remember, he's, preaching to the, he's writing to this group of persecuted Christians. They're reading this in the catacombs. And it says, the beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. The beginning of the good news. These are people that are hurting. These are people that are lonely. I think he's writing to these Roman Christians, but perhaps he's writing to us. Some of you right now might be lonely, might be hurting, might be questioning what's going on in life, might be missing people that have passed away, might be have insecurity with their job, might have all these troubles and tribulations. And he says, this is the beginning of the good news. Yeah, you're hiding in In a graveyard underneath the city. But there's good news. And it's Jesus. He says this is the beginning of it. I'm not gonna begin with a genealogy. I'm not gonna begin with the fluff of a, of a miraculous birth. I'm not gonna begin with the fluff of a genealogy. I'm not gonna begin with the fluff of his childhood. I'm not gonna be, Mark sees all that as just periphery. He says, this is the beginning. Let's get into the ministry, what you've given your lives for, what you're willing to sacrifice for. This is the beginning. And some of the other translations would say the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus, the Messiah. This is the one that we've been waiting for. Mark doesn't do a lot of references to the past, but here he does. This is the beginning of Jesus the Messiah, the promised one from God. He talks about the beginning. God was at the beginning. God's been planning this at the beginning. From the beginning of time, God had this plan and this this Messiah, this promise, and here it is. This is the beginning of the good news of the story of this Messiah, the Son of God. Son of God is Mark's favorite title for Jesus. There's several different titles that he'll use, and we're going to see throughout the book of Mark, but Son of God, so when he comes back to a time and again. But the interesting part is the disciples never call him Son of God. They miss this title. They miss this concept almost. This concept that says Son of God, making a very direct correlation, a very direct connection with God. That there's this connection with the one that created everything. This is his son. This is God. You know who calls him the son of God? The demons. The Roman centurion. The unbelievers. Know that this, Jesus, is the son of God. And so perhaps if you've been praying for a family member or a loved one or a friend that you know knows all the right things, knows all the stories about Jesus, but they haven't yet given their life over to them. They haven't yet accepted them as the Son of God. Keep on praying because the disciples missed this until the end. And then their eyes opened up and they saw that this is the Son of God. This is the Lord, the Messiah. Rome had many gods And Mark is making sure to know this is the one, the one true God, this is his son, this is the connection. And so he continues on, and and like I said, Mark doesn't have a lot of flashback to Old Testament, we're not going to see many references to this, but he begins his message with this one. Even when he talks about the Messiah, the Messiah is a reference to this promise from God. And he says, this is the beginning. And Connecting to Genesis, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This beginning part of Mark is a reference back, and he pulls out these verses. It says, verse 2, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. Mark combines three different Old Testament texts. This wasn't unusual at the time. This is a, a literary style. And Mark combines these Old Testament texts and he attributes it to Isaiah because Isaiah is the most prominent one of the three. And so he has these three texts that the, that the listeners here in the catacombs that are familiar with their Old Testament would say, that's right. This was promised by God. They would be able to connect with these verses. These verses are from Exodus at a time when Moses takes them, out of the, and takes them out of Egypt and into the wilderness. And Exodus 23 says, See, I'm sending an angel ahead of you to guard you along the way and to bring you to the place I have prepared. To Malachi 3, chapter, dr- chapter 3, verse 1, says, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Isaiah, chapter 40 says a voice of one calling in the wilderness prepare the way for the Lord make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Mark is not simply connecting these verses saying hey this was promised but I think Mark is connecting to the people. These believers that are facing hard times facing struggles perhaps like you and me he's saying hey this is what God promised in the wilderness. This is what God promised in exile. This is what God promised in the midst of a time of great distance, in the midst of a time of pain, in the midst of hardship. God made this promise, and this promise has come to fruition. In the midst of exile, in the midst of pain, in the midst of all that we're, all the burdens that we have on our shoulders, Jesus is here. And so he's connecting to Jesus these Old Testament prophecies. And it says that there will be one that will be calling in the wilderness. And and the Greek word here for calling is this loud call that someone is proclaiming, proclaiming the Messiah is coming. The Messiah will be here and we get to this. And so Mark paints that picture of one proclaiming. And then in verse four, we see who it is. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. You're going to see throughout the book of Mark, Mark is very straightforward. I love this. John the Baptist, if you're familiar with him, he's got an amazing story. One, he's the cousin of Jesus. Two, he's got a miraculous birth story. His background is amazing that you would want to have a, a, that part of the story, but not Mark. Mark's just like, it appeared. And so there's, there's John the Baptist. He's just like, we're not messing with any of the fluff. We're getting right to it. And so he says, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, again, connecting the people in their loneliness. And he's preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. He's preaching about the forgiveness. And this baptism, as we see in the other gospels, this baptism of forgiveness is connected to the promise of the Messiah that is to come. The one that would wipe our sins clean. The one that would give us an eternal salvation that we would be able to, to enter into heaven because we, our sins would be wiped away. This is what they're baptized to, into the promise of what is to come, into what we will see John is proclaiming. Jesus is the one coming. For us, we are baptized into, because of the Messiah that ha- has come. We're all looking at the same point in time. Those that were before Jesus were looking to the Messiah. Those that are after Jesus, you and I, are looking at the, the Messiah that came, This is the source of our forgiveness. And how did the people respond to this, to this call to come and be baptized? Verse 5 says, The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. The entire countryside comes. John has grown in great popularity. Many people knew about John. The whole city of Jerusalem has come. In fact, in first century uh, uh, literature, there's more written about John the Baptist than there is about Jesus in some circles. Because they thought that he was Elijah. This idea that Elijah was to come was based on a prophecy from the end of the Old Testament. The book of Malachi says that before the Messiah would come, God would bring back Elijah. Elijah. So even today at a Passover Seder, there's an empty seat for Elijah to come. So they've been waiting, waiting for Elijah and, and is finally here. That this isn't Elijah himself, this is John, John the Baptist, but the spirit of Elijah is on him. We see this, Jesus tells the disciples this in Matthew 17. It says, but I tell you, Elijah has already come and they did not recognize him, but have done to him everything they wished. In the same way, the Son of Man is going to suffer in their hands. And then, then the disciples understood he was talking to them about John the Baptist. John is out proclaiming to be baptized. He is the one that is gonna come before. He is what the Old Testament has predicted that Elijah would come and proclaim and call out to people to repent, to come back because the Messiah is here. The same message that is true today for us to repent, to come to the Lord, to be baptized, to give our life over to him. And Mark gives us some details about John and 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 we see that the reason God chose John wasn't because of his popularity among the people. wasn't because the whole crowds came to him. It wasn't because he was, had a loud voice and he was willing to cry out. I think it's because of his humble heart. He knew this story, this, his story on earth wasn't about him. It was about the Messiah. It was about the one that was to come. And so Mark tells us a little bit about John. And we see about his humility. We, we see verse 6, it says, John wore clothes made of camel hair uh, with a leather belt around the waist and he ate locusts and wild honey. To us, that seems crazy, right? Can you imagine one of us showing up for church this morning in, in a cloak of camels here and you're like, hey, you want to come over for lunch? We're going to have locusts. And, and we'd be like, nah, I'll pass. I'll head to PALS instead. And, uh, and it just seems crazy, and we often think, well, that was the Bible times. They did crazy stuff. No, Mark points out to all the people listening that are reading this in the catacombs, this guy is crazy, right? Mark, it stands out enough that Mark's pointing out that this isn't normal, that John is a different breed. John is a different kind of guy. John is a part of a group of a Jewish sect called the Essians. And this group was very uh, based in uh, back to the basics. They were big on the written word. This is the people that wrote the Dead Sea Scrolls is John's group. They went back to basic clothes, to basic food. They, they had this philosophy of, of not pursuing any pleasures here on earth. They had a pledge of celibacy. However, this group continued for generation after generation, so they didn't follow that so well. But uh, so they had this, this idea of going back to basics, and so here's John in basic clothes, eating basic food, a humble a humble man but then we see his humility as as mark lays it out verse 7 and this was his message after me comes the one more powerful than i the straps of whose sandals i am not worthy to stoop down and untie john was a rock star Right, The people are coming from the whole countryside, the whole city of Jerusalem have come and been at John's hands, have been baptized in the river. Everybody knows about John. Everyone thinks that this might be the, the Elijah who's been prophesied. Everybody knows John and John is at this high status at this time. And what happens? John says, there's someone coming that's so much higher than me. I don't deserve to untie their shoes. A servant was in charge of the feet. As you came to a dinner party, your feet were filthy from walking on sand and and walking in the muck. And so you would come and and you'd enter the dinner party and a servant was there to untie your shoes and wash your feet. servant was the lowest person among anyone in there. It was the lowest job, usually the job of, of children, of children's servants. And John's saying, I'm not even worthy to do that. This shows John's perspective of the magnitude of who Jesus was, not just as a person, but as the son of God. All comes back to that first verse. Jesus, this is the good news of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of God. John is saying, this isn't just a man, this is God himself, Emmanuel, Christ incarnate, God incarnate, he is here with us. I don't even deserve to be able to untie his shoes. That is how amazing this Messiah is. That we've promised. And he says, I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. This is John's MO. This is John's job. He's been out proclaiming and preaching and baptizing. Time and again, everyone has come. Everyone comes again and again because you sin again and you need to wash clean every time was the belief. And so they're coming repeatedly. And this is what John does is baptize with water. And he's saying, what I got is nothing compared to what the Messiah will do. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will come down and wash you clean. You won't have to repeatedly come and, and have your sins washed away because what will happen, the Messiah will come and he will wipe you clean with the Holy Spirit and for, from then on you are set free. Isn't that an amazing message? We are set free because we've been baptized with the Holy Spirit. And so John proclaims this. Mark begins his gospel the gospel according to Mark with this story for a reason. To lay it out that this isn't a story about John the Baptist. His life wasn't about himself, it was about Jesus. That my life isn't about me, it's about Jesus. And so for those of you that are suffering in the catacombs, those of you that are wondering, was this worth it? Those of you that are facing hardships and family has died and friends have turned against you and you've lost your job and you've lost your home and everything is crashing down on you. It's not about you, it's about Jesus and he is worth it. He is mightier than us. Even John the Baptist isn't unworthy to untie his sandals. This is the story of God. And John is privileged and humbled to be part of it. This is the story of God, and we have an opportunity to be part of it. Like I said, this is my favorite book of of the Bible. I love it because it's fast. I love it because it's quick. I love it because it's just full of stories that that can just blow your mind. I love it because it's clear. From the beginning, this isn't about John. This isn't about me. Our life isn't about you. It's the story of God. And so we're going to see throughout the book of Mark, Mark paints Jesus very clearly as a suffering servant. As one who came to care for the loss. As one who came to care for and heal and love and take care of the other people. That Jesus was first a servant, and it begins by this reference of John being a servant to Jesus. And we will see at the end, Jesus was a servant to all mankind to die on the cross. And so as we go through uh, our our text every week, my hope is to figure out how to uh, dive into the text for us to be able to learn something, to be able to know it better, but also to be able to apply it to our lives. And this week, it's really easy. The book of Mark is all about Jesus as a servant. This story is about, G, about John, who's a rock star, and he says, I'm not even worthy to be a servant. A humbling idea. One of my favorite things here at Discovery is this idea of sent to serve. If you're new here, oh, we have this, this, uh, sun, this Sunday. Anytime there's five Sundays in the month, and there's five in the month of January, we have sent to serve. And sent to serve is an opportunity that we realize we're not here just to pretend to be Christians. We're not here to just say we're Christians. We're not here to just attend church, but we're here to live it out. And so on the fifth Sunday, we'll meet here at 930. We'll sing a couple worship songs, and then we go to sites around town, and we serve. We, we copy what we'll see Jesus throughout the book of Mark do is serve. It's to love on people. It's to care for them. This is our opportunity to live out the gospel according to Mark, to our city, to our community, to Bristol. And so a lot of times people might think, oh, this is a a week that I'm going to take off, or this is a week that we'll just sleep in and have pancakes, or I got kids, and it's just so much work to be able to go serve. But I want to encourage you, live out the gospel of Mark next Sunday. If you look on your seat or on a seat near you, you have one of these pieces of paper. If you'll grab it, I just want to kind of share some of the sites with you. We have sites around town, and like I said, we'll meet here at 930, and then we disperse to these sites. And, and I want to encourage you today to sign your name and mark which site you or your family or, or you and your friends are going to go to. And step up and let us serve as marked displays. One of those sites is Haven of Rest. It's a ministry for the homeless in downtown Bristol and we're going to go work in their thrift store. And we're going to separate stuff and organize things and so that way the proceeds and the belongings would be able to benefit the homeless community. Or Healing Hands. It's a ministry that helps uh, those that need medical help or dental help. And we're going to go do landscaping work and, and work with chainsaws and stuff. But they also have inside jobs. And so we're going to be making dental packets and cleaning the inside of the building. And so, so that's a great one if you're willing to sign up. And that one's kid-friendly to do the, the um, dental packets. Or maybe Elmcroft. We've been going there uh, throughout the, the COVID lockdown, and we can't go in. So we just go and the directors know we're doing this and we bang on the windows and the elderly perk up and it takes a little bit, a minute of confusion wondering where is this noise coming from and then they come to the window and you should see their eyes light up and they put their hand on the window and we put our hand and we tell them, I love you and we got little kids that put their hand up and you know, it just makes their day. If you flip it over, you, we have sites, uh, BG's Closet. It's a new uh, clothing closet we're, getting, we're starting here at the church. And, and we need some help organizing that and, and getting that set up to be able to reach out to the school system, to be able to reach out to foster families, to be able to reach out to discovery members that, that, that kids need clothes. Or perhaps you're interested in helping out with Isaiah House, which is right next door. It's a ministry that takes care of foster kids when uh, that time between when they're taken from home before they're placed and they stay at the fo- Isaiah House and they receive love and care there, and we got people that are going to come and organize the, their donations and, and do some landscaping. Or perhaps next week, you need to do something at home. Since Serve isn't just these organized sites. Maybe you need to be able to take care of your neighbor. Maybe make them a meal, make them cookies. Maybe go take care of their yard. Perhaps it's raiding your pantry and bringing food over to, we're going to collect food to be able to take one of our sense of serve sites. And you could raid your pantry and take food to the church office and leave it on the patio. That's a site. We want you to mark. If that's what you're planning on doing, mark that. So that way we can encourage you. That way we can be praying for you. And when you're done with this, to fill this out, put it in the basket on your way out. First hour had a great response. I hope that second hour will too, because this is our chance to not just skip church on that off week. This is our chance to live out the gospel of Mark. These Christians are in the catacombs and they're gathered and they get this word and someone's reading a segment of the gospel according to Mark and they know that Jesus was real. Jesus is worth all that they're going through. And I hope that we can look at this book and realize the same thing. That in the midst of our hardship, in the midst of our pain, in the midst of the time that you might be struggling to find employment or, or your relationships at home are falling apart, in the midst of all that we're going through, that we'd be able to see what, Jesus, what Mark wrote, in the beginning, this is the beginning of the good news of Jesus the Messiah. The early Christians had a way to mark with each other. One would make a half circle. And if you're a fellow Christian, you would connect that half circle, and they would be slightly off to form a fish. The Greek word for fish is ichthus, and, and to use that as an acrostic, it stands for Jesus Christ, God's Son, Savior. This is Mark's message. This is what they're proclaiming that in the midst of the pain, in the midst of the hard time, there is good news, and that is Jesus Christ has come to forgive us of our sins and to baptize us with the Holy Spirit. If you'll stand, I'm gonna go ahead and close this in a prayer, and then we have worship that we'll transition into, and, and I hope that we can just proclaim who he is in the midst of this worship to sing with all our might as the one who's in the wilderness calling out that we would be able to sing out Our praises to Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. If you'll pray with me, Lord, we thank you for your love and care for us. God, we thank you that you have sent your Son. And Lord, as we jump into this book of Mark, let us dive into the stories with eagerness and expectation. God, let us connect with those early Christians and everyone from then on that has dove into this book and found assurance, found encouragement. It's found a message of forgiveness and salvation. God, if there's anyone here this morning that needs that, that message, that needs to accept Jesus Christ, let them do so. God, let them come speak with us and let us tell them about baptism, not just in through water, but baptism through the Holy Spirit. God, we thank you for your son. We thank you for the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Son of God. In your name. Amen.